Hello and welcome to the FIEC podcast. This is the place where you'll hear teaching and resources for church leaders to help independent churches work together to reach Britain for Christ. This episode features a webinar by FIEC's National Director John Stevens in our Leadership in Lockdown series. After the publication of government guidance for church buildings in England to reopen from the 4th of July, John is joined by three FIEC pastors to discuss the reopening plans at their respective churches. On the panel are Paul Gamston from South Craven Evangelical Church in Yorkshire, Mark Lawrence from Christ Church Dunstable, and Spencer Shaw from Emmanuel Church Chippenham. We want to uh, start with the Word of God, as we have done in all of these uh, webinars, and I want to read from uh, Philippians chapter 2 as we um, begin our time together. So let me read Philippians 2, 1 to 10. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act uh, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, I slightly went on beyond verse 10. That was actually deliberate. Um, uh, at the moment, as we think about this whole issue of churches opening, the government guidance that's been given, uh, we're tempted to think of our rights as churches and church leaders. We live in a society which is very concerned um, uh, uh, about rights, a society which wants to know what are we entitled to, a society that asks what's the minimum obligation that I have to fulfil. We live in a society in which people speak of standing on uh, their rights. But I think that that whole perspective of focusing on rights uh, it is not the biblical um, way that we ought to be thinking and not the way that we ought to be thinking as we approach this whole issue of how our churches open and uh, how they comply with the government guidance um, that has been given. Um, it, as I've said before, coming out of lockdown is going to be more difficult than going into lockdown. Um, uh, churches will take different views. People will have different opinions. Our unity will be tested. There'll be a, a temptation to judge others because of the uh, convictions that they have and the conclusions that they reach. So it's so important uh, in, in this time that we adopt a Christ-like uh, attitude. And that's exactly what Paul urges the Philippians to do in this passage. Here in Philippians chapter 2, where there are issues of division within the church, he is urging the members of the church to adopt the mind of Christ, to adopt a Christ-like attitude 
in the way that they relate to one another. I think there are three things that are particularly important that we can learn from this passage as to what this Christ-like attitude is and why we adopt it. Firstly, we see the principle that we forgo our rights for the sake of serving others. That's the uh, big idea that um, uh, sort of Paul presents to uh, these uh, Philippians. Um, uh, we don't cling on to our rights, we don't but just as the Lord Jesus did not cling on to as the divine son of God, gave it up, become servant for others. So we too are to set aside our rights for the sake of serving uh, others. A Christ-like mindset is an other-centered mindset. Now that may work out in different ways in our churches. In some of our churches, there are people who are desperate to meet because they're feeling the loss of uh, the lockdown and a lack of social interaction and being able to gather together. For others in our churches, they're incredibly sensitive to meeting together. They feel fear and risk. As we think about what we're going to do, what our rights are and what is right to do, we need to make sure that um, our mindset is of serving uh, others. Um, uh, we find that difficult because we like by nature to want to stand on our rights. Why do we do it? Why are we willing to forgo our rights for the sake of serving others? Well, the reason that we do that is we forgo our rights for the sake of our witness to the world. This is what um, Paul uh, emphasizes here in um, uh, sort of uh, chapter two particularly verses 14 uh, and to uh, 16, which do everything without grumbling and complaining. That is uh, speaking about this willingness to set aside rights for the sake of serving others. Uh, it's by following the example of Christ and having the mindset of Christ that we witness to the world. This is very clear in Paul's own ministry. In Philippi, he had the right as a Roman citizen to object to being flogged, but instead he was willing to set his right aside for the sake of the work of the gospel in Philippi and to help the Christians in Philippi who would likely be persecuted. In other situations, he was prepared to insist on that right. But for the sake of the witness of the church uh, and for the gospel in Philippi, he was willing to set his rights aside and uh, suffer. We need to be those who are willing to forgo our rights for the sake of our witness to the world. And as we think about this whole issue of um, how we open up, um, how we comply with the guidance. One of the key things at stake is the witness of the church to a watching world and community uh, uh, around us. And then lastly, I think we see in this passage that we forgo our rights because Jesus is exalted and our identity is secure. One of the reasons we want to stand on our rights is because uh, we have an insecure sense of identity. So we cling uh, to um, our rights. But we see that Jesus was willing to give up his rights precisely because his identity was secure. He was secure in his identity as the uh, divine son of God. He was secure in his hope of being exalted to the right hand of God. And uh, as we understand how Jesus has been exalted and our identity is found by being um, uh, in him, that frees us not to need to insist on our rights, but to be willing to set them uh, aside. Paul uh, later in the letter speaks of all the rights he could have had, claiming his ethnic heritage as, as, as a Jew, as a Pharisee. But he sees all those aspects of identity as rubbish to be set aside because of his new identity in Christ. We need to realise that our identity is utterly secure because of the risen, ascended and exalted Lord Jesus. And if we realise that we are in him, then we have the freedom to forgo our rights because our identity is not founded in asserting them. So here I think are three key principles that we'll need to think through and work through um, as we think about churches coming out of lockdown. 
forsaking our rights for the sake of serving others, forgoing our rights for the sake of our witness to the world. And we're able to do that, to forego our rights because Jesus is exalted and our identity is secure in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you and praise you for this reminder from Paul to the Philippians and to us that we should have the mindset of Christ. We want to be those who are willing servants of others, who follow the example of the Lord Jesus and are willing, where necessary, to set aside rights in order to serve. We want to be those who are faithful, bold witnesses. We want to be those who shine as stars in this dark world as we hold firmly to the word of life, the good news of the gospel that we long for people to hear and believe. Please reassure us of our confident status in the Lord Jesus. Help us to be sure that he is the one who is exalted and to whom everyone will bow. And may that confidence and assurance give us the ability to uh, live in a Christ-like way. And we ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Well, what we're going to do um, uh, today, I want, um, first of all, just as we begin uh, this time uh, together, to just briefly update you on the government guidance for places of worship that came out on uh, Monday uh, night. I know that many of you will have read it already. I know that many of you may well have read summaries of it, but I thought it was helpful just to say a few things in way of introduction uh, about the government guidance and how it applies to uh, places of uh, kind of worship. Um, I should say that um, obviously this is particularly relevant to those of you who have your own building. Um, many of our churches meet in rented premises, schools, um, uh, theatres, cinemas, community centres. If I just say I've done a brief poll of those who are meeting in those facilities and whether they're able to start meeting is a very varied picture. Some schools and community centres are saying start this Sunday. Others have been saying no you can't come until September or, or, or even January. Others are saying, show us your risk assessment before we make a decision about whether you can come. And if you're in uh, rented premises, you don't have any rights to be able to meet there. It's up to the owners of the building as to whether they think it's safe and appropriate to open to allow you um, in. So I'm just conscious that there are different contexts that um, are those of you who are listening um, will have. The um, government guidance uh, as it affects churches and particularly um, our churches, because the guidance is, is designed for every kind of faith every kind of um, uh, public worship. But just to distill out, I think, some of the um, key elements uh, for us. Perhaps um, uh, central and underpinning everything in the guidance is the obligation on churches to undertake a risk assessment. We'll say that um, a little bit earlier. A formal risk assessment needs to be undertaken to make sure that your use of uh, the uh, premises will be COVID um, secure. It's great news that weddings have been allowed to go ahead and um, actually we've got more in terms of what was expected of weddings, but weddings will be allowed to take place with a maximum uh, attendance of 30, including um, the uh, celebrants. The um, key element of the guidance overall is that we're to um, strictly adhere to the social distancing requirements and uh, those social distancing requirements are to maintain two metres social distancing from others unless that is impossible. So don't think that the guidance gives you permission to reduce to one meter. Um, it's two meters unless that can't be maintained. And if you go below two meters, you need other mitigations. Striking that both the Baptist Union and Roman Catholic guidance is if you go less than two meters, they're recommending people wear masks. That's not required, but it's a way of uh, speaking of the kinds of mitigation that is needed. The government advice is no congregational singing. Um, and um, a soloist is only permitted to uh, sing from the front or chant from the front if that's essential to the act of worship uh, uh, being undertaken. I think in most of our churches, we couldn't really argue that the singing from the front would be um, essential 
to the act of worship. The guidance advises church services to be as short as possible, and the assumption is that you will lead immediately after um, it is finished. There's uh, advice to avoid baptism by um, immersion because of the quantity of water involved. If you're uh, involved with childcare, creche, Sunday school, then you need to observe the specific guidance for childcare uh, and school settings. Some of the uh, guidance have, it has impact for the Lord's Supper. This may well not be as relevant to the way that many of our churches celebrate um, the Lord's Supper, but essentially it means that there's no common cup, there's to be no speaking directly over the bread and wine um, uh, uncovered. Uh, I don't think the element about sort of um, putting it in people's hands rather than people's mouths will be particularly relevant across the FIEC, but that, that, that's one of the um, uh, key mandatory provisions uh, of the uh, uh, kind of guidance. Uh, people are encouraged to bring their own books, um, uh, Bibles, service books or whatever to services, not to use uh, things that are shared. If, if that's not possible and books are used that are shared, they need to be then quarantined. Um, and there's advice against avoiding cash, cash collections. If cash is collected, it's to be in a single receptacle, it's to be quarantined for a period of time and only to be handled by one person. So that's the nub of the particular rules that apply to uh, churches. A number of organisations have begun to provide detailed guidance about how to implement that. The Baptist Union's material, which will be on our resource sheet, has been very helpful in fleshing out what that might mean for churches that are like many FIEC churches. It's worth thinking about what are the motives of um, the government guidance for uh, places of worship. It, it's easy for us to, I think, misunderstand what government is trying to do here. I've been involved in uh, sort of a, a series of consultations with number 10 um, uh, by Christian and faith leaders. Um, and I think I just want to reassure you that the government here is trying to do the best that it can in a very difficult uh, situation, uh, trying to provide advice that works for a breadth of faith communities, all of which have very different practices. And for some of those faith communities, there is real and significant danger of the uh, virus being passed uh, around. We're beginning to see new localised lockdowns um, and um, uh, uh, sort of that's just a warning to us that the virus hasn't gone away. There are real um, dangers. So the underlying concern of the government is public health uh, concern. The rules that are being applied to churches are not intrinsically different from the rules that are being provided to um, other sectors of the community and other service providers. We're not being singled out in, in a way that is discriminating against it. The um, uh, uh, guidance begins with the statement that places of worship are particularly vulnerable to the spread of COVID-19 and that's on the basis of the evidence both from the UK and from uh, around the world. And I think it's indisputable that the nature of church gatherings do have a particular a possibility of encouraging the spread of COVID-19 because of the way people interact, the number of people together from different households, the time that they spend together. Government guidance has a particular concern for those who are over 70 and those who are shielding, that they need to be protected because of their vulnerability. And obviously part of the guidance is bound up with the track, track, and, tra track, and, taste, uh, track and trace um, uh, system which is designed to control outbreaks of the uh, virus. People are coming together in churches, um, as indeed at, at any other kind of social centre. Only if government knows who's there can they then um, act uh, if it turns out that somebody has got uh, COVID-19 and people need to be advised to socially isolate. So what spirit then should we approach the uh, government guidance for places of worship? What's the spirit of um, the guidance? Um, I, I want to say that um, there are very little elements of the guidance that are actually mandatory legal requirements. 
So there is a mandatory legal requirement for a risk assessment. That is something you have to do. There's also a mandatory legal requirement for the way that you handle food, particularly that will apply for us with the Lord's Supper. But just about everything else in the um, uh, sort of guidance is advice or strong advice. It's put in terms of what you should do, not what you must do. So effectively, our government is trusting our churches and church leaders to act in a way that is wise and safe for the benefits of both the members of the congregation, but also the wider community. Uh, the government has been reluctant to impose a framework of tighter rules, but we shouldn't mean that that means that the government is saying it's just free to you to choose what you want to do. The government is fully expecting churches to implement all of the guidance. Where things are advised or strongly advised, the government expects churches to carry them uh, into um, uh, effect. It may not be legally um, uh, enforceable in, in, in quite that sense, uh, but it's not expected to be voluntary or optional uh, either. So um, uh, how are the um, are government guidance going to be enforced? Is there any teeth to um, the guidance? Well, there are a number of things to bear in mind here. Um, there is the possibility uh, for church leaders and church trustees of criminal and civil liability um, if they break the mandatory obligations or if they act in ways that are negligent or uh, which are reckless. So we shouldn't think there aren't implications for churches. And we should also bear in mind the witness implications. Just imagine if a church chooses to ignore what are strong advice given within um, the government guidance, and it's shown that that had the consequence of spreading COVID-19 and people became ill or, or, or people died. That has happened in churches uh, around the world. Um, uh, we need to be very aware of uh, that danger, but there is the potential for personal and collective criminal or civil liability. It's um, a criminal offence to fail to manage health and safety um, uh, as far as is reasonably practicable. So that fits with the obligation to have a risk assessment. Um, you are under a duty to manage health and safety. Um, uh, and that gives uh, teeth to the guidance uh, as a whole. It seems to me that um, it would be very difficult for churches and leaders to want to advocate that they would be um, uh, managing health and safety reasonably practicably if they choose to defy government advice or strong advice about what, what is COVID secure. You may have your own opinions, for example, about singing, but if government is saying at this point that singing is dangerous and they're conducting ongoing research, then in a risk assessment, it would be quite difficult, I think, to argue that you know better than the advice that's been provided by the government. You'd certainly have to be very sort of secure of your ground and of your evidence. Um, uh, in terms of practical implications, uh, one key issue to bear in mind is the risk for churches of being uninsured if they fail to observe the guidance. So um, uh, your insurers will take their own policy as to what is required. And I think for many churches, they will find that their insurer will expect them to comply with government advice. If you're not intending to comply with government advice, um, you must check with your insurer. Um, and local government enforcement is able to take enforcement action against uh, those who breach health and safety regulations, who fail to manage risk uh, appropriately. There will be spot checks uh, from uh, local authorities. Um, uh, local authorities have the ability to issue enforcement notices, and it would be a criminal offence to um, ignore an enforcement notice. Um, uh, again, it may well be that members of the community, members of your church who are unhappy with what's happening, they can always uh, complain to the uh, health and safety authorities at the local uh, authority. 
and ask for um, investigation and action to be taken. In the light of all of those considerations, our strong conviction um, from FIEC centrally is that all churches ought to um, implement um, and uh, uh, apply the government guidance as it's been uh, given. Even if it's not mandatory, um, our advice is that churches, for the sake of their witness, because of the liabilities involved, ought to implement the um, uh, guidance uh, as the government has uh, given it. So that's a brief overview of the um, uh, current position uh, in relation to the guidance. Some of these things may change. So the singing area, the uh, document highlights may well change in the light of subsequent evidence. We don't know when that would be. But uh, bear in mind there's the possibility of, on the one hand, both greater relaxation, but also the reimposition of restrictions um, if the virus, virus um, uh, picks up again. So that's just to give you an overall picture of where the guidance uh, is. What I want to do now is to turn to uh, my three friends, our three pastors, and talk to them a little bit about how they've been working this through in their own local church uh, context. So again, my suggestion to you is you switch to uh, a kind of active speaker view so that you get to see the person who's speaking. And um, uh, sort of Paul, Mark and Spencer, I'd like you to just uh, kind of introduce yourselves. Tell me a little bit about your church, where you are, how many people you have coming, where you meet, what does an average Sunday, did an average Sunday look, look, look like before lockdown? So just give us your context. So Paul, do you want to kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your context. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm pastor at South Craven Evangelical Church. Um, we are in North Yorkshire. We're um, just about 40 years old as a congregation. We have a membership of 56. Uh, which is double what it was 10 years ago, so we've grown in the last decade. Uh, we're based in seven villages just south of Skipton, but we serve a far wider area actually because of dearth of gospel witness. So our vision is to plant into three surrounding towns, Heathley, Skipton and Cole. Um, and we made a start at that two years ago when we planted a second Sunday morning congregation into Keithley, which is five miles away. Um, we outgrew our building several years ago, met in the local primary school and have come back into our building now that the plant has started and they meet in a former Methodist chapel uh, that has become a community centre, or at least they did before lockdown. Sunday mornings before lockdown, um, the intention was accessible for all. We'd have about 50 back in South Craven and between 25 and 30 in Keithley. And Sunday evenings were dig deeper um, and we'd be about 50 combined. Um, just to hold my hands up, I, I'm not quite on the same uh, level as, as Spencer and Mark. Spencer had a re-entry plan before we'd gone into lockdown and Mark's ready to go next week. So I think I'm representing all the rest of us who are slightly behind. Um, but I did spend an hour yesterday with um, 15 other North and West Yorkshire church leaders and I've got some of their perspectives to, to chip in. So hopefully I'll have something wise to say. Great. Mark, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello everyone, uh, I, I'm the Senior Minister of Christchurch Dunstable, which is in the town of Dunstable, just west of Luton. Dunstable is a town of about 35,000 people. We have a total regular morning congregation pool of uh, up to 500, with over 300 church members. Uh, we meet in our own building. We have a, a basement church hall. We have a main auditorium at ground level with a classic first floor surrounding three-sided balcony. Um, adjacent, contiguous with our church building premises, we have our wonderful large pub which we own, which functions as our outreach community centre and coffee house. And previously before lockdown, we had three Sunday services at 9.15, 11.15, which were both identical with full parallel children's work for children up to 14 and a 6.15 p.m. evening service. Uh, make up of the congregation, all ages, loads of families, 
people, uh, young people, and those right up through to older friends as well. Thanks, Mark. Spencer? Hi, everyone. Spencer Shaw, um, pastor of Emmanuel Church in Chippenham. Chippenham is a, um, a medium-sized market town uh, in North Wiltshire between Swindon and Bath, just off the M4. Um, population about 45,000 in our town. Um, uh, uh, we've got a, uh, our church is about 15 years old. Uh, we've had our own building for the last five years prior to that meeting at school. Um, if everyone turns up on a, a Sunday morning, it could be 185, something like that. Um, but um, regular morning of about 150, uh, membership of about 100. And um, uh, normally we have two services on the Sunday, quite a large one in the morning, uh, majority of people there. Um, and then probably about half that in the evening. Sunday school goes out mid-morning. Um, and um, yeah, beyond that, lots of things going on locally for the community. Very busy mums and tots group that reaches out normally. Um, an elderly knit and natter group and just lots of other things going on. Um, and uh, of course, all of, that, all of that has had to go online somehow over the last, uh, over the last four months. So uh, yeah, that's our scenario. Great. And Spencer, um, can you tell us, as a church in Emmanuel, when are you hoping that you're going to be able to start meeting physically as a church? So what's kind of, you've got your own building. What's your planning scenario for when you want to be gathering? Yeah, some of you will know that we, we um, started to think about this very early. Um, I think we value meeting together a lot. We've got people of all ages and stages, a few shielding, um, a few um, uh, over 70s, but an awful lot of families and younger people. Uh, just how to navigate that. It, um, we started to plan for. It, in fact, I, I confess to feeling quite a lot of pressure to start trying to meet pro properly this Sunday. And it was just became very clear once the government guidance was out that we were going to have to do an awful lot more thinking. Um, so in fact, at the moment, we're aiming to physically start some kind of meeting uh, a week Sunday on the 12th of July. But before we do that, we're going to poll the church and see who is likely to come uh, are, uh, you know, folk will recognize, I think, that our uh, building capacity is going to be limited because of social distancing and so on and so on and so on. Uh, so there's a lot of work to do before we can physically meet again, which is why we're going to put it off at least a week um, before doing that. Mark, what about yourself at Christchurch? Uh, we're going to start meeting this Sunday. Um, throughout lockdown, we've run a live stream service from our church building uh, with substantial online videos for the children's groups up to 14. Um, the final Sunday of that lockdown pattern is this coming Sunday, um, but where we'll do a full orbed live service with uh, some recorded data, including a, an online virtual choir and that sort of thing. It's a guest service, actually, which we had already decided before we knew uh, that we were going to be able to meet. So we want a lot of people to be with friends coming online, but the um, live stream service will have a congregation for which uh, advanced booking this week is necessary. That's for church members, but they can bring friends and children over the age of 11. Um, from next Sunday, the 12th of July, we have already gone public with our church yesterday. We have an online midweek meeting when uh, the associate pastor and I did a, an interview together, we've told the congregation we're going to be running four <laughs> services on Sunday, an identical all-age services at 9.15 and 3.15 for parents and children up to 14, and then adult services for 11 years and upwards at identical adult services at 11.15 and 6.15. So the nano age, 11 to 14, can choose with their families which service they attend, but they must attend with a parent. 
uh, and all children who come must sit with and remain with parents in accordance with government guidelines. We'll probably cover that sort of thing later. Great, thanks Mark. And what about yourself, Paul, and the wider perspective from Yorkshire? Yeah, as, as a church family, we haven't got uh, set plans for when we will restart in our building yet. Um, we are still processing the guidelines. Um, as an eldership, we don't have the risk assessment expertise. Um, the folks in the church do are the ones who are um, working their socks off at the moment. So um, having, having the ability to pull that information will take a little bit of a time. I think the honest answer is we're probably not in a rush. Um, we will be looking at a hybrid model. Um, I think the reality is that our size dynamic at the moment means that we are all meeting on Zoom on a Sunday morning. We see each other, we sense we are together. The vast majority of the church are very content with that at the moment. They're frustrated that we can't do what we, we want to do, but that's a good model. And so any change is going to be a loss rather than a gain. Um, I did attend another church last Sunday because I was on, on, on holiday and went to a church I used to be a member at, which was, is a big church. It was, it was great ministry, but there was no sense of being with the church family. So I understand that the size dynamic does really change um, your, your motivation here. And for some of our local churches, actually weddings have, have forced the reopening. The fact that they're wanting to host those has made them have to look through the whole um, risk assessment. And, and so that's given them a chance to actually um, uh, be prepared to practice uh, uh, opening the buildings. Some of our churches up here are saying that they're going to be opening in two weeks. Others have said we're not going to do anything until the autumn because we want to manage expectations. Um, and others like ours, are, there's no firm date yet. I think at the same time, though, we do want to say that we are encouraging people to meet within the guidelines. So we will be wanting to encourage people to, to, to meet uh, as households indoors where they can or in gardens. Certainly in our home groups, that's already begun to happen. Um, so there are, are opportunities to increase the face-to-face the, the -face meeting uh, physically, not virtually, um, within the current guidelines without using our church building. Um, and I suspect our first step will be to use the church building as another Zoom screen, if that makes sense, uh, so that they will be participating in the wider gathering. But that's kind of where our, our, our thoughts are. We're, we're very conscious as well, chatting yesterday as, as pastors, a lot of this will come down to personal preferences of pastors um, and our own local expertise and our own current dynamics. Um, and also some theological reflection as to what church will be. So that, that, will, that all plays into the mix of, of how we're approaching this. Great, thank you. Um, Mark, can I come back to you? Um, just as uh, sort of Christchurch Dunstable, your leadership and, and yourself, how have you approached the kind of government guidance and how you're seeking to implement it? And have you got any kind of wisdom for us about how you've undertaken a risk assessment? Well, I think this is very important. Um, we take it very seriously, um, full compliance. Um, the pastors and elders, we've set the ministry and the meeting goals and then the risk assessment team assesses whether that's achievable and how best to do it uh, in terms of actually um, putting that into practice. Now, we chose the risk assessment team with the aim of experience, wise judgment, strategic decision making ability, uh, a willingness to speak up and make their view clear and a group that we knew would have the confidence of the whole church membership. So our risk assessment team, we've got six people. Uh, and it's been drawn from across the church in line with government advice. We've got, uh, the whole team has got that professional and uh, charity trustee experience, the best we could find. It comprises me, a senior minister, our, our ops director, an experienced elder, and three women with extensive risk assessment experience in the public sector, in schools and NHS at a senior level. So that, and the diversity of our risk assessment team includes racial diversity. Um, we we're going to publish a photograph of the risk assessment team uh, and uh, the risk assessment will, of course, be made public on the website as the government requires. Um, we met for two and a half hours 
uh, on Monday evening, each having studied the government guidelines prior to the meeting. Um, key conclusions were reached unanimously towards the end of that meeting at 10.30. The draft risk assessment document will be ready by tomorrow. It'll be signed off on Friday. It'll be with the elders by Friday evening. It'll be signed off by them on Saturday, 5 p.m. And the elders will respect the conclusions of the risk assessment team as the delegated team, but it's the elders with pastors who will assume responsibility for that, John, uh, as elders and trustees. Great, thank you. Um, Mark, what about you, Spencer? How have you um, approached the guidance and your risk assessment? Yeah, we, we, uh, what we've done is pull together um, uh, church officers and others with practical, implica practical responsibility for making things work. Um, so beyond the, the elders and deacons. And uh, we pulled that group together a couple of months ago for the first time to start to talk about what this is gonna look like. I pulled them again together on Monday evening uh, and shared with them a summary of both the guidance and a summary of the guidance. And one of my elders has done a lot of work on um, what it could look like over the weekend um, and also um, uh, setting the agenda clearly. I think it's really important to understand from our point of view that, that we believe we're going to have to live stream and do a hybrid model for the for the foreseeable future um, and uh, but at the same time and and also that um, our witness to the world around us is as important in many ways as uh, working together so in fact I've got a church administrator who's got a lot of experience of risk assessment who is spending a lot of time this week putting that together uh, that will be reviewed by me and other responsible officers um, at the end of this week. Again, the elders will have to sign it off as taking ultimate responsibility. Um, uh, but we're liaising with our insurance company as well. Um, I think uh, it's fair to say that the guidance has, though they were completely behind the government's motivation and actions, um, uh, the guidance has come down just a little bit stricter than we were expecting it to be. Uh, we are going to go for full compliance and we're publicizing. We've made a big fuss about making sure that our local, the local people around our church building know uh, that we are complying 100%. So as soon as lockdown happened, we put up a big, a big banner actually on the front of our building saying in, in line with government advice, we are, we are stopping physical meetings. You can meet, blah, blah, blah. we'll replace that banner. One of the things, you know, just even rec listening to recorded music, we're just someone highlighted last night uh, that, um, uh, the locals might think we're singing. So the new banner will indicate uh, that actually we're still listening to recorded music. It, it's a really difficult balance, this, because we want people to come. We want people to tune in. Lots and lots of people who aren't Christians have been tuning into services. We know that from reports that we've been getting back. Um, uh, but at the same time, we, we do think uh, uh, it, it changes everything when people see one another in the flesh. Uh, it's been delightful to bump into church members in the street and in car parks and things like that. And there's only so much you can say. But getting that balance uh, is uh, is actually quite hard. And we want to try and make sure that people don't feel compelled, but do feel encouraged. Um, uh, and so we're putting everything together with that in mind. It's fair to say also that a lot of our folk, a lot of the correspondence I've had is from church members who are genuinely worried um, uh, the, uh, you know, the, some, most of our people are not laissez-faire about it. They're just frightened. Um, and it's not because I've got lots of elderly, because I haven't. But I think the press has done its job well. Um, and balancing that, all of those things, is, is going to take some, some skill. Right, Paul, is there anything you want to add to that? 
Yeah, I, th I think it's trying it's trying to keep the, the, the big picture, isn't it? I mean, I don't eat up re risk assessments and executive leadership in the way that some others do. And, and it's easy to get very intimidated by all of this. But for me, it's about our witness to Christ. Um, what frightens me is us, us being the cause of an infection and locking down our villages. I mean, that, that would absolutely. destroy our witness for a generation. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't go anywhere near there. But it's not just about legalistic um, observing the risk assessment either. It's, it's actually this is how we express our care for one another. One of the things I've really struggled with this whole issue is how we care for one another without carrying the disease. In past generations, Christians have been at the heart of caring for the sick. That's been much more difficult in this context. And, and so what does our care for one another look like? And it's got to be ensuring that we don't spread the disease. So that, that has to be part of the, the positive um, aspect here. Um, just one of our churches, we're, we're recognising that a fifth of their um, congregation are from the minority groups and in the, in, the, in the context of Black Lives Matter and everything else, they are very conscious about consulting with them about how they feel coming back. And I think that will be really important. Um, we have a few within our congregation to ensure we do that. Um, and it's also recognising we're not the experts in this, although I may get really frustrated by some of the rules. They, they've been put there by experts who, who have done it for a reason, and we need to be seen to be complying with that. So, um, yeah, I think that's where we're coming from. Great, thank you. Can I just say, uh, many of you may not have the great resources of kind of people in the church experienced in health and safety and risk assessment. There are increasingly some good templates being published. The Baptist Union has produced a really helpful template to help you work through the kinds of issues. We'll be advising you on templates and ways to go about risk assessment. We're going to be doing an interview with a health and safety consultant to just give advice to churches on how to do that. So even if you, you haven't got that within your own church, we'll try to make sure that we can provide you with that help. And as Mark said, the risk assessments of churches will need to be online. So you should be able to access risk assessments from other churches to get a flavour for how they're doing things. Um, Mark, if I can come back sure. to you. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I, I, just let me add before you ask me whatever it is you're going to ask me. It's worth realising that many people in the congregation are more experienced in risk assessment than we might realise. So, for example, when we asked um, one of our one of our people um, who's a, a contact assessment worker for children's services in a nearby town, she laughed when I said to her, would you be willing to help us with risk assessment? And she said, you don't know this, but I do this all day long. And, and that was fantastic. To, and, and so actually, often people are more experienced than we may realise. Mm. We don't, it's not that one assembles experts, it's that you ask around and you discover people who have got skills that perhaps you just didn't know. Great. Anyway, Thank sorry, you were going to ask me something else. I was going to say, yeah, could you very briefly summarise, what does adhering to social distancing mean in your church context? What, what's that look like in practical application? What are you going to be do, doing to make sure that you stick to that? What are you not going to be doing? Okay, I think it's really important to be giving the congregation confidence and that's already been referred to by Paul and Spencer so Gareth who serves alongside me in a senior pastor role he interviewed me yesterday as I say for 45 minutes on a live zoom call with over 200 of our of our congregation and uh, what we did was gave the whole time over for the A to Z on what we're doing and the new COVID secure culture so social distancing we said is going to be achieved by separating rows of chairs to two meters Upstairs in our gallery, we still have pews. That means blocking the middle pew. And it also means, we said to the congregation, being seated in households or bubbles that are three empty chairs apart. And, and so we've, we've said to the church, look, in this and other aspects, we're going to have to recognise changing the culture. 
Now, what we don't want are loads of people sat as individuals feeling totally lonely and sad. And so by signaling bubbles, we're saying to people, look, if you are single, um, you might like to consider getting together with another household properly in compliance with government guidelines and so on within a bubble and uh, helping them to see that there is that option there because many of our households are not in bubbles. So we, we're saying to them, why don't you work that through? Uh, but it's very important we comply in this area. And I think it's possibly the single biggest area of giving confidence um, across our racial diversity of our risk assessment team, which represents the church, the two metre distancing was felt to be the single most important thing. And will people be sticking around after the service? Um, and what are you going to do in the way of cleaning? Okay, uh, on both of those aspects then, we have said to the church family that it is important at the end of the service that um, as they leave, they will need to leave the church and the church premises. We can't have uh, groups of people just socialising either in the building or on the outside church premises. Uh, with regard to cleaning, we, we will clean between services and we will do exactly that which the risk assessment team feels is reasonable in the light of uh, government guidelines. Uh, and I'm not going to go into that simply because I do think it's quite important to grasp risk assessment must be drawn up with the unique premises in mind that are, are there before us. I think the danger in overly sharing is that we then take another risk assessment model as the blueprint for our own. Uh, but we, we will be cleaning to the degree that we think is right and reasonable for, for, for our premises. Thanks, Mark. Spencer, what about yourself? Um, how, what social distancing going to look like for you? What measures are you going to be taking? Yeah, so we've got a, a reasonable sized car park. Um, what we're going to be doing is uh, we're, we're going to be inviting congregation members to come, no more than 40 people in the building, if that many. Um, yet to work out exactly how we'll organise that, but um, they will be pre-booked or pre-invited. Um, most people come by car, not everybody, um, but the ones who come by car will be asked to wait in the car until it's their turn to come into the building. We're going to get them to come in. Um, the way our toilets are laid out means actually it's too difficult to get them to physically wash their hands, so we're going to gel hands. Uh, they'll go from one steward to another. They'll be uh, placed either in family groups or couples or whatever, um, and all the households will be seated in a way that are two metres apart. It's very interesting. My church secretary did a, did a physical measure and calculation of how that works. If you've, if you've got 25 single, if you've got sink people sitting on their own, you can only fit 25 people in our building. If you've got people sitting in couples, that doubles and so on. So actually working out whether it's a group of family group of five or someone on their own matters a lot in terms of building capacity. Um, and we're going to put 40 as an upper limit, although in reality we could make it over 50. Um, uh, we're going to make sure we, we floor taped walkways uh, that people aren't to, to remain in. Um, uh, we're going to have to, again, we've got a small corridors, just very small corridors to get into our toilets. Um, so male and female, thankfully they're separate areas of the building, but uh, we are going to have to have a steward supervising one in, one out. Uh, on the toilet area to make sure that social distancing is maintained and people are going to have facilities to clean the toilet after them. Um, and uh, then similarly, we're going to observe a one-way system through the building, basically so people come in, as I've described, sit down, have observed the one-way system if they need the loo, um, and come back into the main hall area. But then as they go, we're going to have to stagger them leaving and again, they can't hang around the car park because the guidance insists that if it's a car park or a garden area or whatever, it's all part of your premises, the, the rules still apply. I mean, it, it sounds 
dreadful actually um but uh and honestly we're just gonna ha have to see how it works um i think we're, we're only going to do this for a sunday morning initially um despite the fact we're going to be live streaming both sunday morning and sunday evening just give ourselves a few weeks to get used to it partly because my assistant the current assistant is about to leave us is shielding because he's um he's a diabetic uh, when he leaves at the end of july we're going to review it and shielders in theory will be able to come in from the 1st of August anyway. So uh, we may well move to Sunday evening, but that will require more cleaning and so on and so uh, alternating chairs. I, from our point of view, where th there's a, there's a, uh, not, you know, not everybody takes this view. We, we've got cloth chairs. Um, and uh, one of the terrible incidents in the church in Korea is a poor soul who caught it for, by sitting in a chair four hours after somebody had left a chair um, so we could just alternate the chairs and get the students to put them away and get more chairs out. Um, in fact, uh, we're just going to, for the first three weeks at least, we'll only meet in the morning, so that won't be a problem. There'll be a gap between services sufficient that it's not a hazard. Um, but thereafter, um, we're going to just see what, what that looks like and, and how we can move, change the chairs over. We, we're not confident that we can clean cloth chairs between services. So, um, uh, yeah. Great. Uh, Paul and Mark, anything else to add to those? Yeah. Can I just add something? Um, I respect everything that Spencer said. Um, we will have a different approach. Um, some of the detail he said we will put in place. Yeah. And some of the, but, but the difference, the, the key difference in approach is we won't heavy police. Um, we, we want to change the culture. And we, our risk assessment team, have assessed a number of the areas that uh, Spencer said, and we have reached different conclusions. Uh, we've reached the same conclusion about the toilets in terms of one person in, but we won't be policing it, we'll have signs up. Uh, we're going to do a more subtle approach, that's going to take a more educative, changing culture approach. Uh, I'm not in any way saying what Spencer is doing is wrong at, uh, at Emmanuel, I'm simply saying we will have a different approach. And I think this is why I think it's really key with risk assessment um, you've got to let your risk assessment team work that through and they must be happy and we will have um, a different approach on quite a number of levels and we've reached different conclusions to uh, what Spencer has said in a number of areas to that. It's I'm a different scale of operation Mark isn't it? Uh, maybe but I also think it's different uh, it's also a different approach to it a little bit and I think it's about having a unique approach for your church mm that your risk assessment team must be happy with and that you as a senior pastor must be happy with because we've got to sleep at night. Uh, so I think all of these things, is, it's what is reasonable that is the key. And what the risk assessment team regards as what is reasonable will be different based on a number of aspects, I think, uh, which are quite complex. And I, okay. I, th I just simply want to put across the diversity of conclusions of, of the risk assessment teams. Yeah, uh, time is flying, and there are kind of a few things that I want to. Paul, can I come to you? Um, is there anything else you want to add on the kind of social distancing side? Oh, I, I, we're not there yet. Um, I think okay. some of it is going to be the advantage of watching others and how the whole experience goes. A part of our conversation yesterday was just that this whole COVID secure experience is going to be such an unpleasant one that actually is it going to be worth engaging in? And I think it would just be helpful for us to watch others and see if they make a success of it or not, and actually whether it's worth. Yeah. Um, all that through so I, I guess that'll be part of that 
Okay, there are three big things I'd like to try to just touch on over the next six minutes. So if we can kind of keep to that, Paul, and then others chipping in. Have you got any advice? How are you managing the fact that people in your congregations have got different feelings about the risk? Some gung-ho, some nervous. How are you, how are you leading the church through this? How are you coping with the fact that some won't potentially come? Any tips for leadership? And then Mark and Spencer to chip in on that as well. Yeah, I think this is partly probably why we're a little bit behind the curve is that we're still trying to lead the church through other steps and um, trying to keep people together on that. Um, unfortunately, Martin, my co-pastor, was out of action with the virus, probably COVID, although the test went around for the first six weeks. So actually us getting up to speed as a leadership team has taken time. Um, so actually, we've got a church members meeting tomorrow to talk through Lord's Supper. Our last members meeting was reflecting on how Sundays have gone online so we're i think that's partly why we're moving more slowly is we'll take some time to reflect each other's steps uh, together and and being a smaller church as well and the interaction on that is a very different scale to, to a larger church so um taking taking time to listen to each other we found the stuff put out in the earlier web, webinar on um the disaster response just hearing from different people has been really help, helpful um, but it is difficult and it's getting more complicated. I think that's the big issue is, is that the more that changes, the more diverse opinions there are. And sometimes that can be smaller, sorry, harder in a smaller church because the voices are louder um, and, and traveling together is going to be really important. Um, so we're using surveys, we're using Zoom church meetings to discuss things together. Um, yeah, but it's not easy. Mark and Spencer, yeah. anything to add? Um, I think that Philippians 1.14 is key here. I, I, I think what you were sharing with us about foregoing our rights, John, is so important. But I don't want to set that against 1.14. We're talking about uh, that what has happened to Paul in prison has served to advance the gospel. He says, uh, because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And I think that it's very important uh, to me as a senior pastor that I lead with my team, not mirror. It's one thing to be aware. We must be aware and informed. But I don't want to just follow. I, I want to lead. And so I think it's very important. We're not afraid to lead and set ministry goals with courage and boldness. Um, we should reassure the timid. We've got to teach the reckless. And it, basically... Go for it. And not, I don't want to model fear. I want to model gospel passion and uh, the importance of meeting together. Uh, but we do that within a COVID secure environment uh, as work through with the risk assessment team. Great. Spencer, any tips on the leadership side? Yeah, I think initiative uh, 1B to 5 is very clear. We are to be shepherds of God's people. And um, you know, there's there's ways of doing that, aren't there? But in the end, that means taking an initiative, uh, leading from the front as much as possible, um, taking responsibility. Um, and I'm just, I, I think that's just really important to do that. You, you know, we lead with the word, don't we? And the priorities in the word and uh, gospel priorities, as Mark was just describing. And um, I think that is crucial. Don't just let this drift over us. Uh, we're, we're the ones who, you know, in the end, we will be answerable. Uh, for how we lead um, in every situation. And uh, I think, therefore, we have to be on the front foot as much as we can. Um, Great. A couple of things I'd like to ask all three of you, if you don't mind. I just want one sentence answers to a couple of questions, if that'd be fine. We'll have plenty of time for questions afterwards, but if just, we can just land on these. Government is um, advising us to keep lists and records of everybody who attends for 21 days. That's part of Track and Trace. Spencer, what are you planning on doing about that? We're going to register everyone in. 
uh, we will maintain we maintain records for all sorts of things we we will make very clear that that's what we're doing we will uh, uh, um, uh, just just keep those and destroy them after 21 days simple as that great mark what are you going to do yeah we'll be taking congregational photographs that we deleted after 21 days uh, everyone knows that's a condition of coming and if there's anyone in the church who comes in who we don't know we will make sure that we take their details at the moment we'll be doing advanced booking but we'll see how that goes great uh, i'm guessing paul you're not quite at that stage yet and you're thinking but do any of the churches in yorkshire resolve well, what they're going to do about that yet we haven't discussed with the other churches but actually as pastors knowing our sheep's importance and martin and i already know who was there on a sunday as we prayed through the membership list on, on a sunday morning partly because as the congregation's getting bigger we wanted to make sure that we weren't missing people who were just disappearing over three weeks so it's, it's one of the advantages of our size of church we, we know who's around uh, we, we've, got, we've got notes of that so and i guess final question this will probably come up in questions and there'll be more opportunity there what are you going to be doing about crash and sunday school so um paul anything anything from the churches in yorkshire as to what they're planning yeah, so one of the churches, uh, across the churches, I think there's a recognition that the children have missed out in this, and that, that's a big concern. One of the churches is really keen to get things up and running as soon as possible. But another of our churches, which runs a preschool, their experience of, of following the guidelines for that has meant they very quickly decided that Sunday school was not going to be an option um, just because of, of the regulations. So they decided not to on the basis of their experience of running a preschool. Mark? Uh, we'll be running a creche and toddler, toddler purely parent-operated parent and only if their child can't stay in the all-age service at 9.15 or 3.15. Uh, but so there won't be a separate ministry run as such by others. Uh, that wouldn't comply at the moment and would seem to us quite unwise. Uh, we will continue to put an uh, online ministry for children uh, online for a while, uh, bearing in mind especially we can't run the groups during the week as we normally would like to. Great. Spencer, finally you. Yes, our, our Sunday school has been operating online now for a few weeks. We intend to continue that. Um, we don't think it's realistic to get uh, some of our younger children uh, observing social distancing. So, um, and the parents certainly don't. So uh, we don't want to put them in that difficult position. It will be up to them whether they come or not when we start meeting physically. But we're going to continue uh, children's ministry online. In terms of creche, no, uh, soft play areas are banned. Um, uh, the aggravation of trying to uh, wash down toys and so on be very, very difficult. So uh, we're going to make clear there won't be creche facilities, but we are going to make available pods uh, that individual parent and small child can be taken to um, uh, with their own small toys during the service if necessary. And uh, we're just going to have to see how that goes, but they're going to have to stay away from other people in other pods. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. You've given us a huge amount in a short period of time. We're so grateful to you being honest and being open about what you're planning, sharing your thinking. I'm hoping and guessing there have probably been quite a number of questions that have been raised. Phil, do you want to uh, start us off? Yes, yeah, certainly. Will. We've had dozens of questions, so we, we just won't get through them all. So please accept my apologies for that. But I've tried to group them together where there have been particular themes. And I wonder if I can start here. A lot of people asking about the over 70s. Should they be encouraged to come to church? Should there be a separate service for them? Should they be kept separate from other people in the building? What should that look like? Is there a group that the government has said is, is particularly vulnerable? What advice would you give uh, a lot of our congregation at LD? What advice would you give to, to churches in that context? Uh, just if I, can ask, I think the government advice is very clear. They should be discouraged from coming to church at this particular point and that, until the guidance for those who are over 70 
um, changes. They're seen as a vulnerable group, rather like a shielding group. So the advice of the government is that um, actually at this stage, that's a particularly vulnerable uh, group. And I think we should be respecting that. And that's very important when so many members of churches are sort of more elderly and more vulnerable. Although ironically, sometimes it's the older people who are more um, bullish about being one, able to meet together again. So there might be a conflict there, but that's the government advice. Spencer or Mark or Paul, anybody got anything extra yeah, to say on that? I think you're right. That is the government advice. Uh, we want to treat people as adults, as the government does. So last night, we simply pointed out that those who are shielding uh, the advice is they do so till the beginning of August. Those who are over 70, you're not, a, you're not recommended to come. We've said that now. We won't repeat that. That's up to people to work through. That's that's the approach we will take. Yeah, we're we're, we're, exa we're exactly the same. Um, I've got one dear soul who's just under a hundred, who said to me when all of this started, um, "I lived through the war. I've seen this. I was born just after Spanish flu. I'm quite looking forward to going home anyway. If COVID nineteen is what takes me, so be it." Um, I, I I smiled, <laughs> and I know the lady concerned. I don't, you know, I, I she's an adult. Uh, we've made very clear, um, but but it is in the end her responsibility, and I wouldn't discourage anyone from uh, uh, or, or, um, to, uh, trying to be more cautious. It, it highlights, John, the importance of saying to people, we will do what we can, but you must take responsibility and we will respect the decisions that you take. Yeah. I think that's right, but with the caveat that that's why it's so important you have proper in-place social distancing rules Absolutely. for if the over-70s do choose to come. No. So in a sense, you can't have it both ways, allowing people to come and then not observing oh, the, totally. kind of the rules that are careful. Um, Phil, do you want to bring in a, sort of another question? Yeah, this is an interesting one. So obviously, Mark and Spencer, you've well thought through on starting up again. A couple of people are asking, is the spirit of the guidance probably to not meet yet for a lot of our churches? Is that the spirit of the guidance, even though you've got great plans in place? What does the spirit of the guidance mean for, for, for other churches? What, what do we um, think? I would, I would say, no, that's not the spirit of the guidance. Um, I, I don't want to say uh, names, but I've met with someone uh, senior in government. John, of course, has had a lot of contact with people senior in government. The person who I've met with, who has uh, great responsibility for all of these matters, said to me, absolutely, you should be meeting. And he said to me, we want you to be meeting. Um, it's not a case of really wanting you to stay away. I think the key thing from all of that I have picked up is we want you to meet, but we want you to meet safely and therefore work it through. Here's the guidance, have risk assessment. Uh, so I think it's easy to uh, form, uh, go beyond the guidance and try to drill down and reach wrong conclusions on that. That would be my view. I, just got, I think one of the um, things is um, the government's trying to draw up guidance for all kinds of faith groups. And I think one of the challenges is probably the kind of service they've got in mind is a sort of parish communion service, said service with a small number of people coming who don't stick around and have coffee afterwards. And so therefore it has more impact on what our normal evangelical services are yeah. than the services in many kinds of churches. But the intention and the spirit is to enable people to meet and enjoy the services that they had before. But um, in a sense, our churches that are bigger, that have people who stick around where fellowship is as important as the religious act, um, don't quite fit the mold for which the guidance is, is, is written um, because they're unusual in the kind of faith communities in the UK. So it's more restrictive to us than what many churches would normally do. Um, in their gatherings. Can I just add there, John? Uh, I, I absolutely agree with what Mark has just said, and and um, but but it, it is, uh, you know, th this is a balancing act, isn't it? Because on the one hand, um, 
uh, if restaurants and pubs and things are going to be open and people, albeit socially distanced, are going to be in them. And it is, it is a bit strange if people are doing that and going to supermarkets and shops and all the rest of it. And yet they walk past our church buildings and they look like ghost towns. Um, uh, I, I think somehow, uh, albeit cautiously and carefully and all the restrictions, everything we've said and being online and everything, in the end, uh, it is important, actually, I, I want to send the message that as far as we can and responsibly as we can, we are open for business. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely right. Can I just, Phil? just in terms of uh, open for business, but it's about what we are as a church, isn't it? And I think that's the other thing I want to, to, to think through here. So we're actually starting Life Explored as a congregation on Sunday mornings for seven weeks just to take up the gospel opportunity. So actually it's about thinking through how we are growing together of course physically being together is part of that but if 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 not being able to all be together is is, is going to distract from the mission actually i think it is worth thinking through what are we actually trying to achieve rather than just jumping through the hoops and that will be some of our caution in, in working through and that will depend on our size dynamic and everything else so appreciate others who are at different places phil next question Yes, we had a few come in uh, with regards to other meetings that take place in church buildings. So, of course, for a number of our churches, it's not just about Sunday meetings. There are midweek Bible studies, prayer meetings, etc. Uh, any thoughts on whether we're opening the buildings for more than just a, a Sunday for that kind of gathering? Any thoughts on that? Well, certainly the guidance allows you to do that once the place of worship is open. Mark and Spencer, what are you planning on doing through the rest of the week? How are you planning on using your buildings? Our plan for this week is to get Sunday up and running and to do it well. Um, however, I'm quite sure that we will rapidly also be having our midweek meetings. We've already well advanced with getting our uh, serving coffee in our forecourt. And one of the reasons that's so key to us is that once we are serving coffee in a safe environment outside, that therefore opens up for us the opportunity to have all manner of uh, open air meetings that are being done in a right and government compliant way. And meeting outside is even better than meeting inside if we can do so. Um, but I do stress that all of our risk assessment is ongoing and constant in the light of changing advice and so forth. Uh, Spencer? Honestly, um, our prayer meetings have been better attended since they've been online. Um, uh, our, our, the frustration is some of the children's clubs and things. We're, we're keeping a watching brief on the whole thing. Um, and uh, so we've gone to home groups weekly, which we haven't done before. We've got prayer meeting weekly, which we haven't done before. You know, we've been alternating them. Um, but how long we'll maintain that for, I don't know. But Sundays are the physical things that we're aiming at at the moment, and we're just going to have to watch this evolve as, as, as things change. I, I meant to say earlier on uh, that one of the key things about having people in our building and live streaming at the same time is that you do have to make people aware that they are effectively a studio audience. They might appear on a live stream. We can't guarantee that people won't. Uh, so whoever does turn up, they need to know that. Um, and we've got signs up to that effect. It's just an important note to make. And you know, I guess that potentially yeah. will be true if we hybridize midweek stuff as well. I think it's worth saying, John, that summer has come at a really good time. Yeah. Um, it's something of a quieter period anyway, in one sense, but and some things may remain on Zoom longer for us, but summer has come at a great time. Let's use it to the full. Right. Phil. Says the man from the south. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of our local churches actually wants to start with their, their, their first thing being back in the buildings, their prayer meeting. They're, they're a smaller church where less people are on um, online. And so actually the, the importance of being able to pray together is going to be their first entry back into the building rather than Sunday. 
thank you. That's really helpful. Um, Phil, uh, any, next question. Yeah, perhaps this one for you, John, I think. Can you clarify the government guidance on people for, of six meeting outside? Because that seems to be a bit of a contradiction. The government still seems to be saying only people from um, six different households, six individuals can meet outside, but then people from lots of different households can come together within a church building. Is that an anomaly? How, could we, how should we interpret that from a church perspective? That, that's the way the government is trying to balance all of the challenges of containing the virus in terms of who you can meet with and who you can spread um, the virus to. So those are the rules that at the moment, um, obviously within the church, you're meant to maintain social distancing anyway. So you're not actually meant to be interacting with more than, uh, not meant to be interacting with people from other households and groups anyway. Um, uh, whereas the six people outside is up to six people from different households who are uh, uh, interacting. Um, uh, actually that has implications for outside services. If you've got a church, courtyard, garden uh, or car park, that counts as part of your place of worship. And then the rules relying, relating to places of worship apply. You can't go and have outside um, open air services in public parks or a farmer's field, um, breaching the guidance of uh, only six people from separate households meeting. The rules for outside, other than in a um, place of worship, are maximum of six people from um, uh, to separate households, or a maximum group of 30 from two households. Thank you, John. A uh, couple of questions coming in about risk assessments. You answered a couple of these during our earlier conversations, but I think this is an interesting one. What do your insurers say about your risk assessment? And what would happen, brothers, if the insurers took a different view to the conclusions you'd reached as part of your risk assessment? What's the legal test there? Uh, a couple of people really concerned about that on the, on the chat function. I'm not sure we can give a definitive answer on that. Um, I would say that the insurance companies, for example, particularly ecclesiastical, have said observe the government guidance. So as long as you're doing what the government guidance specifically sort of says, and you're not doing what the government guidance specifically says you shouldn't do, then um, you will be within the ambit of the, uh, the guidance. There's obviously on areas like cleaning, for example, that aren't laid down rules about exactly the way that you do it, but you must put in place a kind of cleaning. So if you, for example, chose that you were gonna sing, if you're gonna have more than 30 at a wedding, um, that will clearly be a breach of what is specifically uh, stated. So um, I think in that instance, it will be very clear your insurer will not cover you. If you have any doubt at all, talk to your insurer directly. They are all providing helplines, they are all providing online advice, but don't um, act in contravention to any of the specific things the guidance says without checking with your insurer that you um, will be covered if you do that. In terms of uh, renting premises, uh, John, obviously all the, the brothers who've been sharing with us all have their own church buildings. Um, can you give any sort of guidance to what folks should be thinking about if they rent premises and, and perhaps the premises they rent have said, yes, you can come back. What, what's this gonna look like for them because they're not dealing with their own premises? Um, I would have thought in those cases, the primary responsibility is on the owner of the premises to lay down the criteria for what you need to do for them to keep the property COVID secure. Um, and obviously, you've then got to negotiate with the people who are the owners of the building as to what that will require for your particular group. I'd be slightly suspicious of buildings that say, come back and don't ask you the question of what you're going to do, because they may well not have thought through the legal implications. You should certainly have a discussion with them about what are they expecting of you in the way of how you use the premises, how you clean, 
those sorts of responsibilities. But a, a responsible building owner will be thinking of these questions from their own perspective. And it may well be that the demands they make are narrower and tighter than the government guidance. And if that's the case, we've got to comply with what the owners of the building believe to be safe. Often they'll be thinking about other people using the building in the midweek. So if it's a school, they may have children coming in, a community centre, other groups coming in. And we need to, I think, for the sake of the relationship, um, uh, make sure that we are scrupulous in doing what the owners of buildings require for us to be able to um, use the premises. The, the majority response has been that most buildings that are being rented are delaying the time at which they'll allow people to come in. We've heard how hard it is for churches to work it out when they've got their own building. Most responses are along the lines of not yet, maybe September, maybe even later than that. Just chip in the community centre we use for our plant is having to reevaluate its whole model of operation. And so for us, we're going to need to be patient with, with them and, and just because they're wrestling with the same issues we are. Um, and, and particularly if they're a smaller charity, um, they're having to work through all the, all the risk assessment stuff. So there's going to be some negotiation and patience needed. Can I ask a question? A couple of people have been asking about the booking system that you're using, Mark, to get people into, into the church on, on Sunday. So it's a two-part question, really. What system are you using? Can you recommend one? Um, someone also asked, is it free? Uh, and the second question allied to that um, is, what do you do if people turn up who haven't booked? What's your, what's okay. your plan for that? So it's kind of two-part question. Yeah, both very good questions. Um, we already operate a booking system uh, for uh, Sunday meals, uh, which we do through something called Church Suite. Many people use that, uh, and, uh, and it's uh, simply a system for managing databases and enables you to email all your members and to get responses. Um, we will use the same system for our advanced booking for services. Um, the congregation, we haven't said to the congregation what our capacity is. Um, that's something that we know on the leadership and the risk assessment team knows, but also we will remain fluid depending on what family bubbles or family households come on a Sunday. Uh, we've also said to our members though, as we always do, if using church suite is tricky for you, especially for those that perhaps uh, aren't familiar with using smartphones or the, or the like, then you can telephone the, the, uh, the church office or, or email. So uh, that's how we're doing that. Uh, and the second part of the question you said, Phil, was? What if people turn up who haven't booked yeah. uh, when you start, Mark? Uh, uh, we recognise, and the risk assessment team recognises, we have got to be responsive to that situation. So what we will be saying to uh, long-standing church members is, if people have just turned up, please will you go home, let them in. And uh, we, we want to have a system whereby we don't turn people away. That won't be an issue. I know that uh, church members will be only too thrilled to, to leave in order to allow uh, newcomers in and visitors in. Yeah. I guess also you might choose in a church not to book fully to the capacity that you think the building has so you always really leave a small amount of leeway for potential people who might turn up and might be guests uh, well I, I, th I think that's true I, I think that this is another way that one can use the building to the max so we have many different rooms we can sound we can channel sound through so that we will be able to probably keep people on the premises if they wish safely uh, in a COVID secure environment, to use that phrase, but nonetheless to be able to have newcomers in. So I think we'll book to the max, but we'll also recognise we've got more space we can bring into action if needed. Okay, hey, Phil? Taking that forward then, Mark, so Sunday people gather, they, they arrive. How do you deal with the uh, end of the service? Another two-parter, how long will your service last and how will you make sure that people disappear at the end as per the guidelines? Okay, uh, uh, 
the question as to how long the service will last, um, how long to a, a government uh, a, a guideline writer, I think the, the question was the service should be as short as possible. Um, well, again, that's all very well if you just simply think the service is about taking mass or something, as some of our, some, some Catholics might think, you know, it's, it's, it's around a certain event. But for us, obviously, you can't define in quite that tight way. So what we will do is aim to have the adult services over within the hour, which we do online anyway. We, uh, and we, with our all-age services, we will be aiming for about 45 minutes. Uh, in terms of leaving, uh, they'll leave the way they came in. Uh, and we will be as um, generous as we can whilst making sure social, social distancing is done. So I don't think we will be blowing a whistle at the end of the service after the final prayer saying you must now leave. But we will ensure that when people stand that they leave. And we will do it in line with our risk assessment in a way that is safe. But also we want it to be a really great experience, which is why we want to be as culture changing and subtle as we can be. We, we want people to come and we want it to be great, but it's got to be done in a way that's good. So we're having one service this Sunday. So we learn so that by the time we're running four services, we're beginning to hit the ground running and get it right. Okay, thank you. Um, I can, can I just ask? Can I just ask Paul a question? Um, do you mind, Paul? Um, so you're in a sort of situation of you're not yet doing this. You're not yet thinking that this is kind of something you're going to do um, immediately. Maybe as you hear other churches that are planning to kind of get started and get started quickly, how do you feel about that? How do you manage being a pastor when others are perhaps opening and you're feeling that that's not right for you at this stage? Have you got any advice for people in that situation? Yeah, to be honest, I feel incredibly uncomfortable. I feel completely out of my depth and uh, in the shadow of my two brothers. Um, and, and part of my commitment to be on honour here is I recognise that actually that's how a lot of other people feel. Um, and, and we mustn't be intimidated. I'm so grateful for what Mark and Spencer are able to do. I'm, I'm so keen to learn from them. But I, I also know, coming back from FIC leaders and other things, that often for those of us in smaller churches in the north, we feel as though all the speakers, all the seminars have been run by the big church guys. And that's not our experience. Um, and while I want to be part of this and committed and learning from those things, we're not all on the same um, uh, uh, experience. And I, I think it's really important to hear that. And I've had uh, numerous messages actually privately through the chat, people thanking me for, for, for being the nubty on the panel. But none of them put it like that. Um, I, I rejoice. I mean, if we had a church of 500, we'd need to be operating like that. We're not. Um, and I think we need to be comfortable with what, where God has put us, with the God gifts he has given us. Uh, we can learn through this. And actually, I think in some ways, this has been a really good experience because our churches look a lot more different now than they ever have done because we've had to think through more carefully as we've had to make rapid changes. Um, what are we as a church? Who's in our church family? What community are we serving? What expertise have we got on the leadership and within the congregation? And so, so it does look a lot more diff different. And I think that's a fab thing. And I think that's really healthy rather than trying to ape what everyone else is doing. So, so I want to say, you know, learn from what you can don't be intimidated by what you can't do um and 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 let's rejoice i just think it's great looking at this screen a lot of been really intimidated by how many pictures and i didn't sleep particularly well last night i think just for the nerves just look at all these brothers and sisters around the country representing churches of jesus christ where the gospel is being preached where we're all having to learn this through together most of us i think are probably nearer to where i am than mark and spencer so we're grateful that mark and spencer are leading the way through this um 
but God is at work. We're, we're welcoming four new members into membership. Hopefully, well, we're proposing them tomorrow night. I'm doing Christianity Explore with unbelievers. We might be a small church, but God's at work through us. He's at work around the country. And I think we ought to be really encouraged um, by this whole experience. And I am so grateful to the guys who've got it organized so I can pinch their ideas. So I think from an FIEC perspective, we, we, we might want to say that one of the keys of our fellowship is to be supporting and encouraging one another. And maybe some larger churches that are able to meet could actually embrace some of the smaller churches that can't. Maybe it's the opportunity to invite some of them to come and join in your service because they're not capable Absolutely. of meeting or Absolutely. providing them with support. So I think there are crucial ways in which between our churches, we need to support and encourage uh, one, one, one another. And, and, and John, I think one of, uh, it's so helpful what Paul has said. I think one of the key things is, the important thing is that we lead. And actually, whether we're leading a smaller church or a larger church, we've got to remember that even with larger churches, um, actually, we're leading from our homes. And it's about actually leading. And we may have less resources or more. Resources. I look at some of the churches that are considerably bigger than us and think, wow, wouldn't it be great to have those resources? Um, I don't consider we're a particularly large church, but we're larger than many, sure. But there are many much bigger than us. It's a question of leading for the size of church you lead and mobilising those you have around you as best you can. And I think that's the takeaway point that I would want to say. Um, okay. What we can't do is just sit comfortably. We must lead as pastors and we must be prepared to do so without fear. Yeah. Uh, Phil, back to you. Any other questions? We want to pick up other questions if there are other questions. Yeah, John, this one, this one perhaps for you, John. Any idea how long these guidelines might last? So uh, that's a very difficult question to answer, I'm, I'm sure. But are we looking at a few weeks, months, 12 months plus? I think you can ask the same question, how long will the virus last and be a threat? Um, you know, people don't know. Um, the obvious goal of this guidance is, is, I think, to last for some time. There is an indication within it that this, the ban on singing will be reviewed as uh, more research is undertaken. That seems to me to be the most likely thing that could change if there is new evidence that would suggest there's limited risk. Um, uh, other than that, I think most of the framework will continue for as long as the framework for pubs, shops, um, and more wider social distancing operates. The, it's slightly a suck it and see on the part of the government to see what the effect of relaxation is, because nobody really fully knows. Uh, obviously, when the schools go back in September, there may well be changes in social distancing requirements to make that possible. But I think we also need to be fully prepared that rather like in Leicester, which is just up the road from me, actually it may well be that the restrictions are reimposed, not relaxed. We shouldn't think that automatically the direction of travel will be greater relaxation. We need to be prepared for both possibilities, particularly as we hit the autumn and the possibility of there being increased spikes. Um, I think there will be more areas that have local lockdown. Um, that's been mentioned uh, in the media. It's been mentioned by government. Um, I would I would expect that there will be a, a variety of places that will have to experience um, tighter reimposed lockdowns. So we've got to think about it in both directions. Just linked to that, John, with singing, uh, it's not just about singing, is it? It's about voice projection. Any practical guidelines, perhaps from Mark, Spencer and Paul as well, about whether we preach behind plexiglass, if we're projecting our voices? What about prayer meetings, if people are speaking up to pray? How, how might we approach that? We are um, making sure that the front row isn't too close to our, um, isn't too close to our, uh, our, our lectern and uh, everything is going to have to be um, uh, amplified uh, using uh, using technology. Um, 
I, I can I can preach very loud and get very passionate sometimes. Uh, and honestly, I'm just going to have to keep that under under control. Um, and that has been raised as, as part of our uh, consultation and uh, not me, just the whole, well, me as well, but the whole, the whole, um, uh, the whole, the whole loud voice thing. And there's no question that it, it does ask you not to do that in the guidance. So we're just going to have to comply with them. Yeah, we've, we've reached the conclusion that we shouldn't be raising our voices. We should be keeping uh, everything conversational. Um, we're fortunate in having microphones, which we need for a large room. And so everything will be conversational or we don't have a congregational singing. Um, we won't have congregational corporate praying at this stage. And I think it's fine to have um, others leading in prayer, but they will do so from the front. And those taking part in the service will sit on the front row, but I lead from an upper platform that's a little distance away. We certainly won't be using plexiglass unless the government made that mandatory. That's really helpful. I think just in terms of how we do everything collectively, we just need to bear in mind that if people seek to push the guidance or avoid bits of the guidance, there'll be some people in the congregation who will object to that. Yes. So you've just got to be very careful yes. about the, the kind of the attitude of the group as a whole. And I think those practical solutions are ways of doing that. Um, Phil, one last question, perhaps, before we finish. Yeah, this is an interesting one. A few people asking about what about other groups that use your church building? Are we letting them back in yet? What kind of how does that look and how could that work? Let me answer that briefly. Under the government guidance, you're able to allow other groups to use your building. So the opening of the place of worship opens it to other groups. Um, it's clear, however, that you must not open to other groups that are using it as the equivalent of a gym for sports facilities and exercise. The same rules about singing um, uh, apply to groups that would come into your building. Um, uh, they obviously, any group that has to come in has to observe the COVID safe requirements for the building that you've adopted. Um, uh, so that is a, a pre uh, a kind of requisite. So you'll need to think about what those um, duties and uh, obligations are. If it's involving children, um, and many will lend out to a children's group or something like that, again, you've got to observe the guidance for um, uh, basically schools and childcare settings. So you as the owner of the building will have the responsibility of saying to anybody who uses it, these are the terms and conditions on which you can operate in these premises in a way that we believe to be COVID safe. Um, Phil, thank you so much for curating those questions. Thank you so much to uh, Mark and Spencer and Paul for being willing to come and join with us and share us today. I know we've not covered everything that you would like, but I hope that's given you a flavour of what's happening. If I can just uh, again reiterate to you, we're not setting any up as a model of what you should do. We're trying to provide you with models of the ways of thinking, the things that you need to bear in mind, possible solutions that churches are adopting to problems. Um, obviously, there are different challenges of smaller and larger churches, but they're all attempting to resolve the same basic problems of how to um, act in compliance with the government guidance. We will be providing more information for churches on our website as it unfolds. Um, I've got another government Zoom at four o'clock this afternoon, so it'll be interesting to see what more is gleaned uh, kind of from that, but we will update you with any changes and anything um, that we know. We want as an FIEC team to be able to serve you. We know that these webinars can do something of that, uh, but we also want to make ourselves available to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to set up a system in which you as church leaders can book um, personal time on Zoom with one of the central church staff, if there are things, central FIEC staff, if there are things you particularly want to talk through. So we're going to be doing that through a centralised booking system. 
um, and you'll be able to uh, find a slot and somebody will be prepared to meet with you um, probably for a maximum of 30 minutes. Um, and the um, understanding will be that you'll come to that having in a sense listened to the webinars on the key aspects of um, the guidance. So we're not starting from ground zero, but we can then give you more focused um, uh, advice. So over the next few weeks, we're going to make ourselves available to serve you uh, in that way. I'm also going to be recording a message for our churches more generally, another video message, which I think will be helpful to you perhaps communicating some of these things to members of your congregation as I talk about the government guidance uh, and what it involves. So we want to keep you um, uh, uh, updated as fully as we possibly can. Uh, next week we're going to be coming back um, for the webinar, we're going to be looking at the particular pressures on women, women's workers, pastors, wives in particular. Um, if circumstances have changed we can always add another 30 minutes on because we're just conscious of um, the changing moving situation and how relevant this is to you. Um, uh, so we will bear that in mind as we plan uh, for uh, next uh, week. Um, uh, let me pray as we finish our time together. Father we want to thank you and praise you for this time that we've had um, and we ask and pray that by your spirit you would give us all your wisdom as we seek to work out what is right and best for our churches, for the cause of the gospel and for our communities. Ask and pray that we would approach this whole process with the right spirit. Give us a concern to honour Christ and a desire to want to protect people. Give us great sensitivity towards the different feelings in our congregations and help us to lead them well. We want not just to be followers but to be leaders, but leaders who are sensitive. I want to ask and pray for those churches that are gathering this Sunday. Please would you help them to get everything in place and, and may they um, uh, sort of have a blessed time. We pray for those churches that are not able to physically gather that you would continue to bless them as they meet online. May they be built up um, uh, by your word and by the fellowship that they can enjoy. Father, we um, just ask and pray for government that as they seek to navigate these really difficult challenges and produce guidance that is fair and workable, please would you be with them. Help them to be sensitive to the needs of churches and other faith communities. And uh, as they review and update guidance, we pray that you would give them uh, wisdom. So thank you for this time that we've been able to spend. In Jesus' name, Amen. This was the FIEC podcast. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast provider and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.